Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home, be inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. Wonderful to be with you um, now in this uh, full-fledged spring. It's finally here, and uh, it just uh, gives a a feeling of, of Liftment, inspiration, and that's what this program's all about as well. I'm Laura, and it's always wonderful to be with you on a Sunday night. And tonight is no exception in terms of outstanding guests. I am really excited to have on Paul Selig. He is one of the foremost spiritual channels working today in the world. He has channeled over nine books from uh, these, what he calls as a consortium of guides, the guides. And these are guides that instruct with very profound information about how to really truly raise the vibrational level of consciousness in not only human beings, but on the planet as well. You're not going to want to miss this. He is so interesting. He has, uh, he's in the middle of channeling a trilogy of books uh, called Beyond the Known. The first one in the trilogy was Realization. The second one is Alchemy that came out last year. And a third one uh, he is doing this summer. So do not miss my expi- very interesting and exciting conversation with Paul Selig and hear his background as well. He was a playwright and a professor um, before he became a full-time medium slash channeler. It's all coming up here on the way home. And in addition, we're going to be speaking with Gwen Samuels about charter schools and what it means to a lot of parents these days and what you can do, perhaps if you're a parent and uh, wanting to have more options for your kids in these charter schools. It's all part of the program that is brought to you by Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule, and the whole health system. The whole health system means that there is another aspect um, beyond just the fruits and veggies. There's also a product that they have called fiber and spice. But just exactly like the fruits and veggies, there is nothing in the fiber and spice, except for just that fiber and spice, all natural things like cumin and turmeric and flax, all these wonderful items that are natural, natural versions of the fiber that you need, that your body needs on a daily basis. And the spices also that contribute to great wellness and good nutrition. The fruits and veggies, of course, speak for themselves, a variety of 31, a mixture of 31 fruits and vegetables. When you take three and three a day of the capsules of fruits and veggies. Really, there's no other product like it on the market that is only whole food put into these uh, little capsules. And there's a whole process of how they take the water out, but keep 99.9% of the nutrition there for you so that they can pulverize it and then put it in these little capsules. It's the only way to do it, even no matter how many salads you eat or Um, green beans you like to saute it's hard to get the 11 servings that we need as american adults Um, so by all means you can order balance of nature so easily by going online to balanceofnature.com or you can call them at this easy to remember number 800-2468-751 that's 800-2468-751 No matter how you order, make sure you put Laura into the promo code. That way they know that you heard it here on the way home. So Laura into the promo code will get you 35% off and free shipping on your first preferred order. Thank you to Balance of Nature for making this all possible. Stay right here. Paul Selig is coming up next on the way home. Balance of Nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule. Changing the world one life at a time. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know what? I listen to a lot of talk radio shows, and I have heard your commercials for years. And I said, you know what? Let me give it a shot. I work in the schools, in elementary schools. So I took your product. I freaking love it. I have more (laughs) energy than I ever had. And I just feel so much better taking it. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751. That's 800-2468-751. Or by going to balanceofnature.com and make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code LARA. 
Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I'm very grateful to be joined by a friend um, whom I used to do this with quite a lot um, when I was at WABC Radio in New York. But it's just wonderful to have him back on the program after so many developments, so many books, and such a big life change for Paul Selig. He is one of the foremost spiritual channels working today, and he has channeled these uh, many books, and we'll discuss exactly what we mean when I say channel. And you've seen him probably featured on ABC News Nightline, Fox News, the biography channel series of The Unexplained and Elsewhere. When I first met Paul Selig, he was the actual, um, he was on faculty, was the former director of the MFA uh, writing program at NYU, the Goddard College writing program there. And he was doing his channeling sessions, a one-on-one with people on the side. Um, but as uh, the years went by, um, after 30 years, almost 30 years of working at NYU, Paul has morphed completely into his full-time uh, practice of healing with his guides and writing these incredible books. Paul Selig, so wonderful to have you on the way home. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Nice to be with you. To tell somebody what it's like to actually work with you or to have a session with you is is not always the easiest thing because it's kind of hard to describe. It's not the typical where you might go with a counselor, an intuitive counselor, and just say, you know, what's in my future and who am I going to marry, that kind of thing. That's not how a session with you goes. Um, you have this unbelievable gift, and I'll call it a gift, um, of being able to take on the persona of the people that the person sitting in the chair is asking you about. Now, before we go even further into that, if you could just tell us, because I know that um, in parts of your biography, you talk about having sort of a, a spiritual, a mystical experience that led to these clairvoyant leanings of you. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened that changed your life so drastically? You know, it was an incremental change. But when I was 25, I hit a wall. I was an atheist, pretty much. I started praying because I didn't know what else to do. I heard a voice telling me to get my act together. I listened to the voice. And that was the beginning of a lot of change. And a few months later, I was trying to teach myself how to meditate on the roof of my building in New York, where I was living at the time. And I had an experience of energy that I may never really understand. It was energy moving through my body and out through the top of my head. And and then I started seeing little lights around people. So, you know, but what I do now came over time and it was unexpected. This isn't what I thought I would be doing. I, I did. I taught at NYU for 25 years and I ran a graduate program at Goddard College in Vermont. And that's how I lived my life. And I was doing this work very, very quietly because that was my preference was to maintain a, a normal life, which I've given up on now completely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so I, I would imagine now after these uh, it almost, you know, a decade that I've known you doing mm -hmm. the sessions and stuff, you, you do accept it a bit more. Now let's, yeah. if we could just um, hone in a little bit on this ability that you have mm -hmm. um, where you, ch you you channel the guides. And so mm -hmm. first of all, who are the guides? And then second of all, for you to be able to take on physical and energetic appearances of the person the sitter mm -hmm. is actually asking about, where did that come from? And, and how mm -hmm. does that work? And why is that important to the work that you do? Well, I work two ways. I mean, I work as a psychic and the clairsentient, which is, you know, some people call it an empath, but it's a it's clairsentious. I feel and I step into people. I'm a medium, but I'm a medium for the living. So if you want to hear your your dead uncle Hal, I may not get him. I can probably tune into him and I might start to look like him, but I don't hear that station. But if, you know, Hal is living in New Jersey and you haven't talked for 10 years, I'll probably get him spot on, you know, and I just step into people. I just like move in and then I hear them. So if you think of me sort of as a switchboard or as a radio for a switchboard, when I'm channeling, I'm taking dictation from my guides who are teachers. I sit down, I close my eyes, I hear one phrase repeated, and I just say it. And, you know, they'll say it until I speak it aloud, and I speak it aloud, and then everything else comes out on top of it. And they've now delivered nine books through me. Um, the ninth is going to be out in a couple of months that are really just the unedited transcripts of these sessions. And 
the last number of books have been done publicly. I mean, I do them in front of groups of people. You know, I'm not typing. I'm speaking, and this, the, the recording goes to the transcriptionist, and then that gets sent to the publisher, and that's the book. Um, the readings that I do, which is the more psychic work, I didn't know I could do it until I was doing it. Um, you know, I didn't know I was psychic until I was seeing things and hearing things. And, you know, that was a big adjustment. But I studied a form of energy healing. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York. I was volunteering at a center and I was doing, you know, energy work. And I started to somatize or take on what people were had going on in their bodies um, and without knowing it. And then they would confirm. And I started to hear things for them. So if I had my hand in your chest and I learned, I heard the name Barry and I don't know a Barry, I said, who's Barry? You'd say, that's my ex-husband. That's my son. And then all this energy would move. And that was the beginning of sort of tuning into a radio. And as I began to trust the radio, the broadcast increased. I didn't know that I was really stepping into people until I was working with somebody and I had my eyes closed and she mentioned her father's name and she gasped I, and I didn't know what was wrong. And she said, you started to look just like him. And then I found out that happened pretty much every time. And I don't know it. I mean, I don't know how it works. I just know that for me, it's helpful because that kind of stuff is verifiable. You can, you can film it. You can have me seen in one room and the person I'm being, you know, I'm tuning into in some other space and you'll, you'll, you'll get it. That's what I did on that old show, the unexplained. I tuned into some mother whose kid had an issue and they intercut me with a kid who it turned out had cerebral palsy and you could see the, 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 the change in my body and my face. So that kind of thing, I didn't know I was doing it until I was doing it. And now I like it because it, in some ways for me, helps me trust the channeled work, which is so out there. I mean, you know, I can't, I don't care how smart I am. I can't close my eyes and dictate nine books that don't need any editing. So the psychic work supports it. It's just two different ways of working. So I see it. Yes, indeed. And I can absolutely verify what you're talking about in terms of having a session with you where mm -hmm. you'll have a question. Let's say back when I started to, going to see you, I was dating somebody and mm -hmm. wanted to know whether it was going anywhere. And you would answer my questions, taking on the persona with the same types of body language and sort of verbal uh, communications that, that that guy would do. And yet you mm -hmm. never knew that guy. You never seen mm -hmm. him in your life. And, mm -hmm. and so that for me was just honestly the most unique experience. And, and it may, it really helped to verify because many times yeah. you, you go, you know, maybe see a psychic or a medium or something and you have to ask yourself, well, is this true? I don't know. I won't know until that thing comes yeah. to pass or doesn't down the road. But when you're sitting with you and you're sitting there and you're actually channeling the personalities and the spirit of these people that are still living, um, yeah. It, it feels absolutely verifiable. So that's the first thing. The second thing I have seen you in live in front of an audience. And so when you're talking about you get the messages from the guides and they speak through you, that's exactly what happens. It's just a stream of channeling consciousness, um, this higher um, energy and intelligence, I would say, you know, from what you call your guides. And your books have been channeled through this one, some of them being, I am the word. That was your first one beyond the known, I believe uh, realization and alchemy. That's part of a two part trilogy. So mm -hmm. when you say the guides, tell me a little bit about your guides because they, they almost seem to have a persona, a personality yeah. and even um, an accent mm -hmm. uh, of their own. Tell Sometimes me about them. the accent comes through and I'm, you know, I actually like it when the accent comes through, it doesn't happen all that much now because I get farther out of the way in the channeling when I hear that, especially the one who has this sort of slight, it's almost like a Scottish brogue or something, because he likes to hear himself talk and his, his use of language is wonderful. So I just sit back and enjoy because he's so confident in his presentation. But I'm working with a group. They call them, I call, the only reason they're called the guides is my ex from many, many years ago, when my ex found out I could do this, used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. That's why they're called the guides, <laughs> you know, and, um, but it's a collective, they're teachers, they tolerate me, which I'm grateful for, because I can't be, 
you know, the easiest person to work through. I, I'm the guy that shows up and I sit in the chair. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I have no aspirations whatsoever, but I'm really fascinated by what this is. I may never understand it while I'm in this body, but you know, they, they, they call themselves uh, teachers, you know, and they're here to support all of us in our evolution. So this isn't a teaching of how to get a a bigger condo or, you know, a, a wealthy partner. It's not that kind of stuff. It's really about a re-knowing of who we are at a level of essence so that we can support everybody else in doing the same. That's right. A real evolution of consciousness of humanity. Um, they're really big, deep, beautiful lessons in them. But when you hear them, you feel energized by them and you yeah. feel like you're hearing truth. I think one of the reasons why your guides love you, Paul, so much there is such a sense of uh, humility, I would say, integrity, and um, just this purity also in just your persona and your personality, just as a, a human being. And, and you also, and I know that you probably think I'm just stroking you here, but I'm remembering now sitting with you those many years ago and mm-hmm. being, you're erudite and eloquent. And when your guides speak, they do speak with a with a level of a beautiful sense of vocabulary and mm-hmm. and understanding that it you know it's not it's not your most you know everyday vernacular but yet it really helps you to grow and expand i think he chose you because of that you're a, you were a writer before you became mm-hmm. in the channel yeah. um and uh you know a professor of of writing so you mm-hmm. were the conduit and the person I think they were looking for. And they seem to acknowledge you fondly throughout the works, which is so Mm -hmm. interesting to me because they will acknowledge you in the books. Like they'll say, well, Paul had this or Paul has that. And um, that must be such a unique experience. Well, they, they often say Paul is interrupting because if I hear something from them in the dictation, and if it's a dictation from the book, For a book, I don't get to go back and change it. That's the rule. You know, nothing. I don't get to go back and edit out the paragraph where I said something, you know, that I think the the readers will never like. If it's the guide's words, they're in the book. I think we might change three words in an entire manuscript that I either mispronounced or spoke too fast. So, um, what, what was the question? Oh, I, I just I just digressed and I forgot entirely what well, you Well, no, I, I think I digressed and didn't make it a very pointed question. I feel like they actually work personally with you and are, oh, are yeah. very... In- I interrupt. That's what I was going to say. If they say, <laughs> if they were to say in a dictation, and by the way, the moon indeed is made of green cheese, they would have, you'd absolutely hear, Paul is interrupting and he wants to know, you know. And for the most part, they'll take that stuff because they have to in order to work through to the next idea. Once in a while, they'll say, Paul is interrupting, we wish he wouldn't, and we'll take his question later. And I actually like that the best because it shows me that they're in charge and that it's not about me. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, and honestly, I channel so much. I do all this stuff online, all these live stream seminars, that there's a moment where it all becomes a wash for me. And I'm just trying to keep up with the dictation. So I'm not listening as closely as the students of the work are. I'm just trying to get it out of my mouth so that we can get on to the next thought. When I hear, I hear phrases, one on top of the other. And I whisper the phrases, it comes and repeats. And it's horribly distracting for most people, but that's how it comes through. So if you can imagine reading like a thousand fortune cookies in a row really, really fast, (laughs) that's short. That's my experience of channeling. Yes, but the but the messages are so profound, honestly, mm-hmm. so profound. I remember when your first book came out and I remember you felt a little, if I recall, f- forgive me if I'm, you know, kind of re-remembering things, but I, you were somewhat reluctant to be, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. arbiter of, of, of these texts. Yeah. And yet, like you said, nine, nine books later, now you're in this trilogy. So you have... Beyond the Known, which is the trilogy, Realization Mm -hmm. was the first volume, Alchemy, the second one that came Mm -hmm. out last year in 2020. Mm -hmm. And you said you have a third one into the mix? Yeah, The Kingdom, which will be out in August, which is the end of that trilogy. And I've just agreed to do another three. So there'll be another trilogy. um, (laughs) And maybe that'll be it. And I'll get a little bit of a rest. But they've been dictating almost a book a year since I started. And um, 
And I find that process fascinating, you know, but the books take, you know, the first book took a week and then two weeks, two and a half weeks. Of yes. Sessions. I recall you saying that. Yes. And, and now it's a few, it's maybe two or three months because I'm not channeling every day. And now because of, of the situation we're all in, I'm not doing live events. So I had to convene a sky, a, a zoom group to dictate the last book to, and then they did a lot in, in the online events that I was doing because I can't do this without a listener. That doesn't, it doesn't work for me that way, but the, but the, 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 they're stressful, the books to bring them through, but they don't take forever. And I'm grateful for that. That's why there can be so many. Yeah. Exactly. Um, my guest is Paul Selig. He is one of the foremost spiritual channels working today and channeling these incredible texts of profound um, knowledge and truth um, from his so-called the guides, as he calls them, um, with just our few minutes left, Paul. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously this is, you know, you try to you know, encapsulate something as profound as the teachings that do come out into these books, you know, on a radio show. But if you were to kind of put together, I know that's nine volumes of stuff and it's, there's no way to do that. But if you were to put together two, three, maybe four points of what they, they try to drive home um, to the listening audience or to the reader, would you have a few of just real yeah. pointed truths? Takeaways. Yeah. Takeaways. I mean, yes. The, this is, these are some of the things they say all the time, which I appreciate because they can be worked with. The action of fear is to create more fear. And every choice you make in fear gets you more of the same. They say what you damn or who you damn damns you back. What you bless blesses you in return. And that's just about co-resonance. They say who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. So that's the same principle, what you damn damns you back. So if I want to say those people over there and I want to shun them, damn them, put them in darkness, whatever I want to do, I can do it, but I've aligned to that level of vibration, you know, which isn't going to make me happy, which is basically, finally, if you want to think of it, perhaps a teaching of forgiveness, but they speak to it in different terms. So those are the few of the things they say, um, but they're speaking to the true self, the divine self, which they say is present in everybody. That's the only eternal truth about who we are. The idea of our personalities, all those things are somewhat transient. You know, they're shaped by culture and by family, but the true self, the eternal self is who they're awakening and inviting into manifestation in their books. And we are all that, correct? Mm -hmm. We are all that. Uh, It's such a pleasure. And I really, I encourage everyone, um, go to Paul's website, paulselig.com. And Selig is spelled S-E-L-I-G, paulselig.com. Also, you can order his books from anywhere and everywhere, um, all nine of them, and uh, or the one that's coming out in August as well. But uh, the most recent one is called Alchemy. And it came out last year, but just go to paulselig.com. You'll see everything there. And, and you're still doing the sessions, correct, Paul? Yes, Online? I am. I am. I do a five-day intensive every month. And pretty much every Wednesday night, I'm, I'm lecturing and taking questions from, from listeners. Very good. And do you do one-on-one work anymore? I do. I do. Not as much as I used to, but there's a link for private readings up on my site. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you, I encourage everybody if you have ever had the opportunity to have a one-on-one session or just to see him live in front of a group paul selig is one of the most fascinating and enduring um speakers of our time uh right now and his books uh, are truly transformative paul selig i'm so grateful you came on the show tonight thank you for having me i appreciate it this is the way home we'll be right back Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, I can't think of anything really more important or crucial kind of at this point in the game. And this year, after uh, the last year that we had with the pandemic, um, being in school and teaching in person is just really one of the hottest topics right now and and so crucial um, for both parents, children, well, and of course, teachers as well. And there's so much to know about the topic. Um, states are doing it differently everywhere, but something special is happening in Connecticut in terms of uh, bringing awareness 
uh, to to charter schools and also welcoming First Lady Jill Biden. So my guest today is Gwen Samuel. She's the president and founder of the Connecticut Parents Union. Gwen, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the way home. Yes, and thank you so much for having us. We have a lot of activity. We're just waiting for the First Lady and the U.S. Secretary to finish with the school. And so now we're texting him, trying to get in the, don't forget us, you know, come out and see us. But we don't know if he's now, you know, uh, at the White House with Secret Service. So we don't know how it's going to work out, but we're excited. Okay, so so um, First Lady Jill Biden, she's coming to, to Meriden, Connecticut. Um, what, is, what is her main reason for doing this? Uh, so a uh, few things have happened. So first, uh, she's introducing herself to Connecticut because of the, our, our U.S. Secretary of Education has been confirmed, uh, Dr. Miguel Cardona, and he's from Meriden, Connecticut, and that is where I am from, Meriden, Connecticut. So we organized a few of our city different school models. We set up a literal classroom with desk and chairs and books, and we just giving him some congratulations. But it's more than just congratulations because I, I'm not that celebratory right about now with this unprecedented pandemic and so many kids still off the grid not getting their educational needs met. So this is also to remind both uh, the First Lady, Jill Biden, and Dr. Miguel Cardona that parents want to work with them. They don't work for us. We want them to work with us. I think that makes all the sense in the world. Absolutely. Especially parents, um, you know, who knows what their children's needs are uh, more than they themselves. Um, let's talk about charter schools and, and what that means to to the entire conversation that you're going to be having with them. I'm. Sh- uh, it sounds like you you have something to say about it and 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 what they really are for a lot of people we hear the words charter schools and and i know that i myself um i i seem to love the idea but i don't exactly know what a charter school is how it's different from a regular public school or the same so if you could give us a little background that would be really helpful gwen uh, so first and foremost uh, my children attended all traditional school even my last daughter that's because Um, She's a senior, and she has two more credits before she graduates. Uh, But that's because we don't have uh, options in my town. We have one inter-district magnet. So I started to learn more about charters, and what I'm learning is just innovation. I just see that they have more autonomy. They are not bogged down. They've created a structure that allows them to make the child the nucleus, the sole nucleus, whereas in public education in our traditional system, They have a lot of moving parts. They have a lot of politics. They have a lot of partisan politics. And so Mm -hmm. it clouds doing what's best for children. So that is the Mm -hmm. only difference I see. They're public schools. The children that attend them are public school children. And in my state of Connecticut, it is causing a wedge because you're making like a tiered, like a classism type of system. Charter versus traditional. Charter versus, no, they are all public schools that need to be held accountable and be accountable to what? To an, uh, Accountable to the children, ensuring they have what they need to grow up to be productive citizens, uh, self-governing uh, citizens in the future. So that is the difference. That's the only difference I see is that the charter schools don't allow for the politics to take a detract from a student's learning, whereas our traditional public school system has a whole, uh, have so many other agendas that they don't have the agenda um, fully of children. And, Mm -hmm. And that's important because every adult in a public school system is only about the intersection to the child, not adult to adult, but the adult to the child. And that's the difference Uh, that I see between the two, getting adults to focus on children like charters, and that's why we're fighting for them. In Connecticut, we do not treat charters fairly, which means we don't treat charter students fairly, and that is wrong. Every child in Connecticut should be treated, have the same um, access to their per-pupil allocation. That is the money that is assigned uh, to them, to our uh, in Connecticut, through our education cost-sharing formula. So whatever this formula is, wherever you live will determine how much you get. But with the charters, it doesn't matter. They still get less 
even though they're outperforming traditional districts. And then on top of that, we're keeping some of the money still in the district, even if they don't have the child. I don't even know how that makes fiscally sense. I don't know how that is considered to be fiscally responsible. It is not. So for me, it's about the child, focus on the child, and let's make it just and fair for all children, regardless of school model. Well, Gwen Samuel, it's so interesting to me. I mean, it's it, it seems like a, a no-brainer. I mean, who wouldn't want their children to have access to an education that is much more centered and focused on the child and, and learning as opposed to, like you said, these other detractions and distractions that happen to happen as well, sometimes in public schools. Now, first of all, educate me a little bit on this, if you would. I know that charter schools are public schools, but who has access to them? Can anyone choose to go to them? So from what I'm understanding is we have an open choice. And again, it's still a new process to us at the Connecticut Parents Union in regards to one thing. We don't get caught in the politics. We just want children to have access to a great school. So in Connecticut, we have open choice. If I'm correct, and I'm sure people are listening, and they apply for a lottery, again, in my city in Meriden, where Dr. Miguel has, we don't have charters. So we don't even know what they really uh, do for us in here in Meriden because we don't get access to them. But, you know, they apply to the school through an open choice program. Um, they, the, the parents choose their priority district. I'll use Hartford. Uh, they choose what school they want to go to. And if there's availability, they um and they get the, they win on the lottery, then they get to go into the school. But they have waiting lists. I mean, waiting lists. If you had a waiting list like this for a company, um, they would be expanding, right? That's why you see franchises, if you will. And yes. I'm not trying to say we need to uh, franchise for the sake of franchising. We're saying expand what's working. Because if there's a waiting list, you have to ask the question why, right? Yes. And what's happening is, our, our local traditional neighborhood schools have just gotten used to the politics, you know, mm-hmm. that, don't, that don't focus on the children. But the charter's focus is let's get that baby's uh, future in sight. Yeah. They keep the child in focus versus, right. like I said, all these other distractions and noises in the traditional public schools. Gwen, do you happen to know, I know that there are many um... – there are many uh, private schools that are open, even in states like California, where everything is shut down. The private schools are open. Are charter schools traditionally open right now um, with the COVID, with the pandemic, or because they're public schools, do they have to follow the same mandates and guidelines uh, for opening as their their state's public schools? So I'll answer that in two parts. So number one, they are still um, required to follow the state mandate. So they're opening when they're safe and they're probably closing when they're not. Where the hypocrisy is in Connecticut is even though they have to do everything the same as the traditional school districts, they still get less funding. They still Mm -hmm. get treated like they're not even public school children, and that alone is a problem. So there's a double standard in my state. We treat charters children like they don't belong here. Our job is to say, no, you don't get the luxury of creating another classism system. We got enough system. We got enough ism, classism, sexism. No, we're not about to do this with the schools either. Let's make sure they're all great and quality for all. And why it's called the Get Schooled campaign is to help small businesses and help the everyday taxpayer, help parents learn the different school models so that we can not get caught up in the politics and the rhetoric. All schools are quality, uh, should be quality and safe. So I guess if people want information, they can go to hashtag get schooled and it's um, it talks about the campaign there. You're the president and founder of the Connecticut Parents Union. I like the the idea of parents um, having a say in in their schools, especially when they are um, funding all of them with their taxpaying dollars. So um, yes, thank you. I I think this is wonderful. I when. um, when Dr. Jill Biden comes to Connecticut and uh, the new, as you said, the education secretary of education, Miguel Cardona, and goes there as well. I hope you have your time with them and you you really get to have meaningful conversation and possibly some even some action. Uh, hashtag get schooled. Is there a website to go to or, or any type of social media where pa- parents can find out more about what you're doing there in Connecticut? 
Uh, yes, if you want to learn more about the Connecticut Parents Union, visit us at www.ctparentsunion.org. Again, www.ctparents with an S union.org or email us at info at ctparentsunion.com and we'll be more happy to connect you to other resources if we can't provide your need we are team players there is no i in team and we're in it to win it for children wonderful connecticut parents union and ctparentsunion.com is the website ctparentsunion.org Oh, dot org. org, excuse me. Okay, thank you so much, Gwen Samuel, and, and congratulations on all you're doing. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. We'll be right back. Balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. It was definitely an answer to a prayer and a desire that I had had for a long time to take in more fruits and vegetables because I knew it would make me healthier. So I'm grateful for it. I got my mom's almost 90. She's been on it now for several years. I swear she's going to end up taking care of me someday. She will tell anyone who will listen to her about the change it made in her life. She genuinely believes Balance of Nature saved her life because eight years ago, her health was not good at all. She started making some changes and added on Balance of Nature several years back. And it's just been amazing to see the change in her. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code Laura. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. We're just having a wonderful time speaking with so many people in the industry of helping healthy hearts stay healthy and even new innovations. And I'm very grateful to have on today uh, Dr. Uh, Jonathan Chen. He is the chief of cardiothoracic surgery in the cardiac center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, that renowned uh, hospital called CHOP, also known as CHOP. And one in every 120 babies in the U.S. is born with heart disease, which is a staggering number to me. So, Dr. Chen, thank you so much for being on the way home today. Um, that is a, a staggering number. I had absolutely no idea. One in 120 babies are born with heart disease. Is that Has it always been that way, or is this a higher number or a lesser number? Are we... Where are we? Yeah, it's a yeah, quite quite kept secret. It's it's been that way for a while. Um, and in fact, uh, congenital heart disease is um, the most common birth defect in children. It's just uh, it's even more common than childhood cancer and so forth. Uh, now, when we the statistic is about one percent, so one in one hundred twenty babies, about forty thousand babies born in the United States a year with congenital heart disease. But that includes, uh, you know, uh, the, the broad spectrum. So there, the vast majority of that group will be benign heart disease, so, um, problems for which the children will be followed for their lifetime, but they may or may not ever require an intervention for that. But also included in that are the, uh, you know, about 25% of, of babies who will need uh, an intervention in the first minutes to hours to days of life. Uh, and so there's it's quite a, a broad array. Now, we um, differentiate congenital heart disease from uh, what we would call acquired heart disease. So, for example, coronary artery disease you get when you're 65 years old from uh, eating too much McDonald's your whole life. That's considered acquired. And in children, you know, worldwide, also uh, acquired is rheumatic heart disease. So we see this almost never in the United States. Um, but in the uh, um, developing world, um, it, rheumatic heart disease remains a very significant problem. That's something that children acquire. It's not something that you're born with. So that's what I was wondering. Um, what are the uh, probably the most prevalent reasons that a baby would be born with this? Is it genetic? Um, does it have something to do with during gestation, a, a lifestyle of the parent? Uh, what or the mm, mother? What? Yeah. What causes it? Yeah, good question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we presume that it's largely genetic insofar as, you know, everything's genetic. It's definitely not something that the um, parent that happens during gestation that, you know, the mother eats too much broccoli and then they have congenital heart disease. Um, now, it does, it's not genetic, genetic in the sense that there are families who have, you know, every single child has congenital heart disease. There, there's the rare instance in which that's the case. However, uh, if um, the, the mother or anyone in the family really has had congenital heart disease, it does raise the um, concern to get a what's called a fetal echocardiogram. So this is a specialized ultrasound that's done uh, specifically looking at the heart. Um, and they can diagnose at about 19 to 21 weeks gestation 
uh, almost all the very significant heart lesions. And um, that's, you know, quite early in pregnancy. It's, it's sort of amazing in some way. Um, and so many, um, many times that will uh, trigger for that um, ultrasound is if you've had a family history of heart disease. I see. And I know that you have this uh, an incredible team there at CHOP in, in terms of cardiac catheterization at this laboratory. Tell us a little bit about that. It, it, is, it, um, is it a very difficult surgery? Is it something that once they, the, the baby has it, are they able to, to lead normal lives? What, what is the process? Yeah, so the, so the cardiac center at CHOP is one of the largest uh, of its kind in the United States. We have about 1,000 people in the cardiac center. Um, the interventions, if you will, in babies and children uh, broadly are in the categories of surgery, which is what I do, and then catheter-based technology. So we call it the catheterization laboratory. Um, now, there, that is much like uh, catheterization that's done for adults, so small catheters that are placed into the heart. Um, in adults, it tends to be from either the groins or the wrist. In children, it can be from the neck vessels as well. Uh, and these catheters sort of fall, uh, have, provide two things for us. One is diagnostics, so they can give us uh, pressures within the heart, and they can estimate flow. They can also, uh, the, the interventional cardiologists, as we call them, can um, inject a certain kind of contrast agent, and that will give us pictures of the vessels and allow us kind of a roadmap if we're operating. But as important, um, they can perform interventions, and so the catheter so specific catheters have balloons on the end of them, for example, that can stretch open areas that are too small, valves that are too small, and they can also implant stents, much as you hear about um, adults who have stents in their coronary arteries. We can put stents in the vessels of children uh, that can be gradually enlarged over time. And sort of the uh, ultimate version of this, in older kids, uh, teenagers and beyond, there are transcatheter valves. So these are actually artificial valves that can be placed on a catheter, much like uh, what Nick Jagger had about four or five years ago in his aortic position. Mm -hmm. We can place them uh, in the, in the um, generally speaking, in the pulmonary arteries of uh, children. And actually the group here, the interventional cardiology group here, is one of the leaders in the country of that particular technology, the transcatheter valve technology. When if you find out that your your baby has something like this, do you recommend for people? Let's say they live in California, but um, your great hospital that is handling so much of this successfully in Philadelphia, does it behoove a family to 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 move a baby, you know, to your hospital, or is everywhere in the country um, sort of equipped and ready to deal with this type of surgery? I would say there are there are a handful of hospitals that have cardiac centers of comparable size and uh, complexity. It sort of depends on what the heart problem is. So there are um, it's hard obviously to to move entirely uh, you know from say California to Philadelphia, but um, we do um, have parents who come from all over the country, actually all over the world, to deliver here. Uh, we have a what's called a special delivery unit here, which is the first of its kind, in which um, healthy moms who have children with uh, some form of either heart disease or other disease uh, can deliver here in the children's hospital. And so what happens often is they will come for their first evaluation and the uh, early portion of gestation they can do where they are in concert with the team here. And then uh, if it's the kind of um, condition that we think would be safer if the child delivered here in the hospital, then at, toward the end of pregnancy, they would move here and deliver here. Um, and that, that, there, there are kids who come from all over just for that. Now, that being said, again, like I was saying earlier, there's lots of these cardiac problems that are not going to be, we, we would not anticipate being a problem in the newborn period, in which case, uh, as long as they're delivering safely in a place where they, are, they have the expertise to deliver a baby with congenital heart disease, usually that's also safe. And the and the babies that have these issues when they're born, uh, technically, are most of them living, you know, well into their adulthood and not really having to worry about it so much for the rest of their life, or is it kind of a mixed uh, mixed um, bag? It sort of depends. Things? So if you if you take all of our operations in aggregate, you know, we do about a thousand operations a year. About eighty five percent of those kids will go on to adulthood, leading very good quality of life and so forth. Um, you know, the, the, we say that even if you have the most benign operation or catheter-based procedure, uh, that those kids should still see a cardiologist probably once a year as they evolve into their adulthood. And, um, and you know, the 
sometimes the challenge now is that some of these problems, which were problems where kids would not even make it out of infancy even a decade ago, are now surviving. And the statistic is that there's more adults alive today with, with repaired and unrepaired congenital heart disease than there are children with congenital heart disease, which is a new finding where the, you know, the scales are now tipping toward we need to find um, specialists in the adult world who can take care of these congenital heart problems because once you become 21, you start having all the other problems you can have when you're 21. You want to get pregnant. You, you know, have to change your lifestyle and so forth. And so one of the having all the other problems you can have when you're 21. You want to get pregnant. You, you know, have to change your lifestyle and so forth. And so one of the one of the good challenges is is uh, having this group of patients who are doing so well. And how do we how do we give them the right expertise to carry them on in their adult years? Wonderful. Uh, Dr. Chen, tell us where there's a good website or where we can get more information on this most important topic. I, I, you know, I think a good starting point is our website, which is um, heart.chop.edu, so heart.chop.edu. And that can serve as sort of a portal to a lot of these other uh, information areas. Um, it also gives you a link to the group here and, as you are talking about earlier, to the fetal cardiology group. Um, you can get second opinions. You can, um, and and I think most of the parents of children with um, significant congenital heart disease, I think, know this. But there's lots on the internet in terms of family support groups uh, for very specific mm-hmm. heart problems that are, I think, uh, really helpful to those families. So that that is also absolutely of, uh, good information. I can imagine. I'll say it one more time. It's heart chop, which is C H O P. Dot edu, heart.chop.edu. Dr. Jonathan Chen, Chief of Cardiothoracic Surgery in the Cardiac Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, also known as CHOP. Thank you for your wonderful expertise today. So appreciated. Thanks for, thanks for having us on the show. You've been listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Laura Smith, and here's a minute of purpose, improving your life 60 seconds at a time. What's the secret of living to 100 or more? Researchers are finding it in something called a blue zone. These areas around the world boast populations who live really long lives. Some blue zones include Sardinia, Italy, Okinawa, Japan, and Loma Linda in California. So what are the health factors these folks have in common? For starters, they primarily eat a plant-based diet. Beef doesn't play a big role. Blue zoners walk everywhere. Typical geography in these places includes plenty of hills, so folks are getting their steps in on an incline. A strong sense of community also plays a role in their longevity. Loneliness is a huge cause of death in old age. Blue zoners stay engaged with the folks around them. So, if you want to live a longer, healthier life, get in the zone. This has been a Minute of Purpose. Find more at nowwithpurpose.com. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, I love this part of the program where we get to really indulge ourselves in what is just typically known as good news, right? Um, I I don't know how else to call it. Positive, uplifting news, uh, stories that uh, make you feel inspired. We like to do that at the end of the show, kind of getting you into your work week here on the way home with Laura Smith. And uh, we do it with my guru of good news and my great engineer, Bob Small being the engineer, Jimmy Dean, as I call him, the guru of good news. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for uh, always being the purveyors of of great feel-good stories. Good to see you. Well, we'll get right into it. We're going to start in Atlanta, where a girl who was once 11 years old named Margie Stagmar, she was a Monopoly champ in sixth grade, and she had a dream of becoming a landlord. Now, landlords tend to get kind of a bad rap when they're asking for rent and all that, but this wasn't just any landlord she wanted to be. She wanted to be a landlord with some compassion to help people that are in need. And what happens was she started a nonprofit, a 501c3, a C3, 501c3, excuse me, called Star Dash C. That's the word Star Dash C. And what it is, uh, she was starting a GoFundMe page, $50,000 to try to help those families in need, particularly when COVID hit, when everybody was getting laid off and losing their jobs and all of that was happening. Well, she wanted to reach out and help them. And not only did she immediately immediately raised the $50,000, but she got millions more from the stimulus and community donations. And now she's helping up to 3,000 families trying to you know, live in their homes and uh, live a better life because they've really been down to their luck. And there's actually a link that I can tell you about if you want to make any donations. It's up and running. It's star-c.org, okay? 
star-c.org, and you can uh, help her out. And uh, it's just a really wonderful thing, not just to be a landlord, but to one that really helps others. Uh, it's just wonderful. That is great. A lot of people, uh, you know, struggling with that over the past year. And when you say C, you're talking about the letter C, correct? Star-C. Yes. S-T-A-R-letter-C.org. Dot org. All right. Simple. She was Thank only you, 11. Yeah, when she when she wanted to do this, when she wanted to become a landlord. Now that's an inspiring story for a young kid, I mean, to do that, not just to be a landlord, but to help others, too. Jimmy, do you know where this housing is going to be? Well, she's in Atlanta, so I guess Atlanta, it probably okay. starts in Atlanta. Yeah. That's fantastic. And um, for sure, uh, you know, playing Monopoly probably started her to uh, thinking that she could become a land- landlord, right? Uh, sure. When you get to buy all that real estate and... I haven't played Monopoly in a long time. How about you guys? Oh, it's been a long time for me. Yeah, me too. I miss it, though. It's a great game. Great game. All right, what else do you have, Jimmy? I really love this story. It's about an 8-year-old boy in Pennsylvania. And what if I told you that this boy saved his sister's life from choking on a chicken nugget thanks to a professional wrestler? Yes, that's exactly what happened. This boy, by the name of Jackson Dempsey, uh, noticed his 20-month-old sister was choking on a piece of a chicken nugget from McDonald's. And he happened to be watching a show that was hosted by WWE champ and distinguished Cushing Academy grad, Roll Pens, John Cena, demonstrate CPR in a Nickelodeon prank show, the very first episode, How to Save Somebody from Choking. Well, fast forward to what had happened. Uh, Jackson was uh, driving to a haircut appointment when he noticed his sister was uh, you know, having trouble uh, swallowing the chicken nugget, just patted her on the back, and the chicken nugget came out, and she was fine. And not long after that, Cena got wind of all of this. He heard of this news, and he wrote her a video thank you saying basically this. Hey, Jackson, this is 16-time WWE champ and peacemaker John Cena saying, Hello to you. How are you doing? Heard that great story. Really touched my heart. You said you were a real hero in a time of crisis. You inspire. And uh, we just want to thank you for being that inspiration from all of us. And that was just and the fact that he went out and did that uh, just for saving his sister's life. A small, a small bit of kindness like that. And, uh, and she was recognized for that. Well, it's absolutely life changing and life saving. Um, it just shows you how much children take in things. So why not publish and uh, promote things like what uh, this WWE guy was, which was how to save a life. I just think it's uh, really important. I always wonder if I was in a situation like that, if I would know what to do and if I would be able to help someone. But mm-hmm. uh, that's incredible that this eight-year-old boy saved his little sister. God bless him. Yeah. Ah, I love things like that. And it does. It just gives you hope and uh, keeps you going. So thanks so much, both Bob Small. You bet. And uh, Jimmy Dean, better known as Jim Cleefield. Thank you, my dear. Uh, Thank you so much for always inspiring us here on the way home with Laura Smith. For the rest of you, please have a great week. Keep it safe. May it be healthy, happy, full of fun and prosperity. I don't know. I'm just wishing you all these things and uh, good times to be had, of course, as well. We'll see you next Sunday on the way home. Lots of love.